Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. So glad you're here. Hope you're enjoying Christmas at Eastgate, the Christmas season here. Uh, it's so much fun to do this music. It's, it's hard that if you ask the worship team, these are difficult songs that we only do once a year. So if we look like our hair's on fire, we're, we apologize. Uh, we're doing our best up here, but I hope that you're enjoying uh, these songs about this wondrous thing that God has done for us. We've been doing this thing together called Advent, and the, the word Advent actually means coming. Adventum from the Latin means arriving or coming. And this is the idea that Christ has come and is coming, that we sit in this great parentheses, if you will, that the church sits in between two great arrivals. And so we're very thankful to be a part of this. It's, it's not that we sit in some sort of absent place where we can't have hope and peace and joy. No, we can experience them to the fullest knowing that Christ has come and is coming again. After all, isn't joy really what Christmas is supposed to be all about? That's why we say Merry Christmas. Mary is like super joy, right? Like that's, that should be a happy, happy Christmas. Many people, in fact, credit the term Merry Christmas to the Charles Dickens play uh, or work called A Christmas Carol, which I imagine most of you are familiar with. This was published back in 1843. Ironically, the first time the words Merry Christmas ever appeared in text were that same year. So a lot of people think perhaps Dickens coined the phrase, and this is an interesting thing because joy is so much underneath the story, Christmas Carol, the Charles Dickens story, and this is the one that Jim Carrey did. I watched it already this season. It's really good. It's pretty fun. He makes some horrendous faces in that movie, as he does. He's got that, that, that meshy kind of face that can do anything. It took a lot of work if you've read this story, if you've watched the films. It took a whole lot of work for this dude named Scrooge to have any semblance of joy, joy, peace, hope. None of that seems to be on his display, but joy is definitely not. In fact, one of the rude deflections he would make when people would come and say Merry Christmas to him, he would say this, if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding. Okay, that's not something you hear anybody say anymore. I wish you'd be boiled with your own pudding. That's apparently a cold phrase back in 1843. But after all the spirits of Christmas, if you know the story, they, they began this transformation in him such that he became, the, the text says in, in Charles Dickens' work, I am light as a feather, I am happy as an angel, I'm merry as a schoolboy, I'm giddy as a drunken man, I merry Christmas to everybody, to which Dickens wrote, It was a splendid laugh, a most illustrious laugh, the father of a long line of brilliant laughs. Now that's a good that's a good stopping point right there to think about Dickens and this idea of what, if you really understood the story of Christmas, what it would do to your smile, (laughs) what it would do to your laugh. Do you come from a long line of illustrious laughs? I don't know. Is, Is there a lot of laughter in your home? Some of you are going home for Christmas, you're going to see family more this time of year, and maybe for you, that means you're absolutely going to have a lot of frowns, because for so many people I talk to, family isn't the place where they smile. I've been blessed in that it's a place filled with noise, 
There's 10 grandkids at my, my side of the family. It's very loud. There's lots of laughs. When I go to the, the, the Crabtree house, it's quite loud there too with lots of laughter and lots of chaos. Maybe that's not your experience, but I wonder this. Maybe you could start something like Scrooge did, a father, a parent of a long line of brilliant laughs. You ever been around somebody who's just got what you might call a brilliant laugh? When I think of brilliant laughs, I can't help but think of your dad, John, John Donater. His dad, Don Donater, one of the most insane laughs I've ever heard in my life. Uh, But it makes me want to make him laugh so bad. If you've ever been around somebody, you're like, i got to make this person laugh because they're going to ruin the room with this wonderful laugh. And Maybe you've forgotten to laugh. Maybe you're suffering from the spirit of Scrooge this Christmas, and you're not alone. According to, to many psychologists right now, Americans miss more work. They complain of more health problems that relate to clinical depression than ever before. The land where the pursuit of happiness is guaranteed by our Constitution is filled with depressed people. Americans are increasingly unhappy, especially at Christmas time. So why are we so discouraged? Why are we not experiencing the great joy that the angels promised? What we just heard uh, Joe read for us in Luke chapter 2, it says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Perhaps we've misunderstood joy. Perhaps that's what's underneath it. Joy is something more than happiness, happiness, happenstance. It doesn't depend on happenings. In fact, this word happiness, I've said this before here, it comes from the word hap, which means haphazard, happenstance. It has to do with luck. That your happiness is based simply on your fortune, your luck, and that's not very good. Happiness is external. Joy is this internal thing. Happiness is based on chance. Joy is based on... Christ, an an unmoving object. The Advent season is an invitation to you. We're going to be in the the book of 1 Peter today. 1 Peter, we're going to see here, the the apostle encouraged these. If you go back a little sooner, we're not going to read all of the text today, but if you read verses 1 through 3, you'll kind of get the introduction, if you will, of who Peter is writing to. He says, Peter, an apostle, and I'm writing to the people of the dispersion. I'm reading to these Christians who have been dispersed. This is the idea that there are now Christians being scattered all over what is modern-day Turkey. and he's, They're experiencing a lot of persecution. They're experiencing a lot of turmoil in their life. And it's to those very people that Peter writes today and encourages them that they can find true joy in Christ. Now, that's a good word because these people are experiencing pain and suffering, I would argue, far beyond what we are. Perhaps we are fighting all kinds of internal battles, mental battles. I'm not belittling at all your, your issues right now, but most of us are not in danger of death by by oppressors. We're not in danger of, of great, great persecution. Generally, that's true here. And so to that very people who are risking their necks to be a Christian, he says, you can find true joy. Which means we can bring that across the Bible bridge and say, we too can find this true joy. And whatever we're dealing with, wherever we're exiled mentally, whatever's got us in a mess, in a bind, we can find true joy. The text, I believe, is going to give three ways 
to find our true joy in Christ. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, this is where we rejoice, church. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you... Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Wow, what a wonderful way to begin this letter to these, these, these persecuted believers and now to us. What a wonderful way to begin with this idea of who we are and what we have in Christ, and that's where we should begin today. How can we find true joy in Jesus in Christ? First, by rejoicing in our security in Christ. In our security in Christ. You'll notice some words right there. I would circle them in your Bibles or in your notes there. Some really, really carefully placed words by the apostle. Because these people, and we're not we're not so very different from them. We're We're struggling with all kinds of different things that cause us anxiety and stress and insecurities. And to this very thing, he writes, there is an inheritance for you that isn't based on you. There's an inheritance for you that isn't based on what's happening in your life. There's an inheritance waiting for you that has nothing to do with what you see on the news. That has nothing to do with what tomorrow looks like for you. Your health Nothing to do with that. Your bad relationships, your brokenness, there's an inheritance that is what he defines it well. It is imperishable. It does not break down, which is a good thing because I have a tendency to buy vegetables and think I'm going to eat them and they sit in there so long. I really need to get in the habit of buying these weekly and using them weekly because I'll look in there and go, I have no clue when I bought that, but it's slimy. It probably is not time imperishable. This thing doesn't degrade. It's undefiled. That means there's nothing in it that's impure. It's unfading. I'm fading a little bit. I'm not going to lie. My former glory, whatever that may have been, is changing. It says the last thing, which I perhaps like the most, what he says at the end of four and at the end of five, he says it's kept in heaven for you where God's power is guarding it. Praise the Lord for that. Because if I'm in charge of guarding this this inheritance, this salvation, I could wake up tomorrow with a sore tummy and just count the whole thing lost. You know, things could change for me in an instant, but that is not the nature of our inheritance. Do you understand where your security comes from? It doesn't come from circumstance. It doesn't come from some happening. It comes from what Christ has already done. That's why we can have true joy. That's why we can rejoice. 
That's why people around you may observe your life and go, I don't understand how it is that you're smiling, laughing in the midst of sickness, in the midst of death, in the midst of losing a job, in the midst of heartache. I don't understand how you can rejoice. Well, right here we see why. Because my joy is heaven bound. My joy is kept in heaven right along with my inheritance. And nothing's going to shake that. Yeah, sure, I'm not going to be just smiling every time something terrible happens. But in my heart, I know God's got me. And he's, he's putting me through this for, for what end, I do not know. And maybe I won't see it for quite some time, but I trust him. So my joy lies there. That's where my rejoicing goes. It goes to this secure place where God's power is guarding him. This joy comes from abiding in Christ. Look what Jesus says. I was tempted to preach this to y'all this week because last week he said, I'm going to give you my peace, my peace I've given to you, not like the world gives it. I'm giving my peace. Look what he says in John chapter 15, verse 9, right, right after he said, abide in me. I am, the, I am the vine, you're the branches. This is that piece of scripture. Right after that he says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. That your joy may be full. Whose joy are you getting? Jesus' joy. Whose peace did you receive? His peace. Not like the world gives because the world's kind of peace is... It's coming and going. It's like happiness. The world's kind of joy is just happiness. It's based on, oh, do I have a lot in my bank today? Does that person love me today? Oh, am I excelling in work today? Am I healthy? Am I feeling good today? I don't always wake up feeling good. I don't know what happens in my sleep. I wish someone could explain this to me. I could go to bed feeling wonderful and wake up going, what happened? I got a full night's rest. They say, hey, you better get seven or eight. I'll get nine and wake up feeling like trash. Why? Well, because these things are they're fluctuating. It could be something I ate two days ago, but my inheritance isn't based on this. My security is not in that. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, that's a whole other aside. I'm not going to go into a great detail on that. But that says something about the way in which we should live. And knowing that, okay, if my inheritance is secure, then the things I care most about is those things I'm storing up there. And what kind of things do you store there? Well, my relationships with other people, those could be permanent. Those are eternally valuable. My relationship with Christ is of eternal value. Let me spend most of my effort then knowing and growing in Christ most of my effort then in loving people and giving them the gospel. The clothes I wear, the things I drive, those things will perish. In fact, if you give me a vehicle, it will fade faster than normal. I have that power over cars. It's a superpower. Hitching our happiness to the world, depending on perishable, defiled, fading things, it's no wonder we don't feel a sense of joy. That's why most people will express some sense of what you might call insecurity, the very opposite of security. Though psychology today, in fact, I read this article this week as I'm doing you know, my preparation, trying to figure out what's going on with me, what's going on with us, and 
Psychology Today says there's, top, there's three reasons why a whole lot of people are feeling insecure. Number one is they're insecure based on a recent failure or some rejection. So they're feeling insecure now. Perhaps for me, I felt this at one point in my life. It was an area where I thought I was strong and it was the very area I failed. And now I'm insecure in that place. Number two, they're feeling insecure because of a lack of confidence because of some sort of social anxiety. What will he think of me? What will, what will she say? And not being aware of the situation and lacking confidence. And number three, an area where I've often felt insecure, and so many of you, I bet, have been here, it's an insecurity that's driven by perfection. If I can't make it perfect, I don't want to do it at all. If I can't do it just right. (laughs) And yet I've observed something. I never quite do everything just right. I wonder if that's because God has no particular interest in me making me look good. Does that, that's warm and fuzzy. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. Maybe God doesn't care so much that Jonathan's name is great. Maybe God doesn't care so much that I look good, but that he looks good. And if I can do a really, if I can do my very best to lift him up, then I'm going to feel this funny sense of joy that has nothing to do with me. So rejoice in your inheritance, church. You've come to faith, you believe in Christ. Smile a little more. (laughs) Merry Christmas to some people in your life. What are you so down about? I I know there's so many things that you could be down about, but would you remember for just a moment this salvation that is kept and guarded in heaven and you did nothing to earn it, God did it all. Praise Him. Merry Christmas. Put a smile on your face. It'd be a real shame if everybody observed that Christians were the frowniest people in the world. That would be a real shame. We ought to have a sense of joy. Here's the second way we rejoice and have true joy in Jesus. It's by rejoicing in our sanctification in Christ. (laughs) Now, if you know anything about this word, you're going to know that that's a prickly point. You're telling me I can have joy in my sanctification? This is the process by which God is making me holy. And that hurts. There's a little bit that needs to be refined In fact, Peter describes it right here. He says, it's like being refined by fire. Gold, in order to be pure, in order to look beautiful, has to go through refinement. Diamonds are the same way. Lasers have to come and cut off off all the ugly edges. Oh, you're far more precious than gold. You're far more precious than diamonds. But the process is the same. Fire. (laughs) Testing. Peter says to that very place, he says, you can rejoice in this. You can rejoice in the security that you have. And you can also rejoice in this moment of knowing that for just a little while, I love that he says that, verse 6. Hey, look, for just a little while, you're going to experience some grief. For just a little while, you're going to have some trials. And this is really funny English here. It's funny Greek. It's just funny language. If you look under the hood in verse 6, it says... Read this again with me. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What is Peter trying to do there with his letter to us? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's trying to remind us, look, first of all, your sufferings are temporary. And that's true. If you'll look at your life, it's not all bad. It's not all pain. There's lots of joy. There's lots of good. 
But there are these moments, these valleys that we all go through. And if you've not been through a big one, it's coming. Because that's the, that's the human experience and that's what God's doing in us. He's working this process in our lives. And if we stayed on a mountaintop all the time, we'd never see God. We just wouldn't. We'd think we were God. So the valleys are there for our own good if we could see it that way. And then he says, if necessary, you've been grieved. Now the if necessary does not point to the trials, but to the grief. That sometimes it's necessary for you to experience grief. That was a troubling thing to see this week. To go, okay, I'm fine. I'm, God, I'm fine. I'm fine if the verse says, hey, just for a little while, if necessary, you're going to experience some trials. I'd have been fine with that, but that's not what it says. It says, if just for a little while, if necessary, you will be grieved by some trials. Now, why is that? Similar to that mountain valley kind of idea. Here's what I have the ability to do, and I bet you have it too. Sometimes I can just let trials slide right off my back. You can come and you can badmouth me, and if I don't care much for you, it's not going to hurt me even one bit. That'll slide right off of me. But if the right person comes and gives me the right kind of information, it'll break my heart. If, if a certain circumstance happens that causes a, a, a particular instance in my life, it will cause me grief. And the Bible says that's necessary sometimes. Why? So that this refining can take place. Because otherwise, I'll just walk through trials and think, wow, I'm some kind of superhero. Look what I can do. I can just march right on through the fire and the fire does not burn anything on me. He says sometimes it's necessary you grieve. Take that where you want to take it, church. The Word of God has said it. That's the part of your sanctification. In fact, I would argue, I know that might not be the greatest news of all, but it is great news to me because here's the Bible expressing something that I'm experiencing in real life. That's what I love about the Word of God is it doesn't try to sugarcoat something. It doesn't try to tell me something that isn't real for me. Here's what I've experienced. Terrible trials and terrible grief. I'm glad the Bible says there's meaning in that. It's happened for a reason. God can refine that if you'll come to Him in that place. That's what you do with your grief. That's what you do with your trials. You don't just harp on them. You don't just have a pity party for yourself. You don't just go to other people and counselors and therapists. Those things will help you. But they're second. There's one, then two. And how do you know, in fact... I think you could argue, it's almost always true, that he's trying to get you to look up again. It's been my experience. Sometimes I get down in a hole and I go, man, it's been a minute since I looked up. Maybe that's why I'm down. Maybe that's why I'm low. Because he's more interested, again, in my sanctification. He's interested in my holiness. That I would be more like Christ every day. This process of glorification is happening in me. This is why James is able to write something astounding in James chapter 1. You've probably heard this before. It's kind of a go-to for a lot of people. He says in chapter 1 verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. <laughs> for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I'm going to go ahead, when this thing happens, I'm going to go ahead and put a check in that checkbox and say, that's joy. Makes no sense to call that joy. I'm calling that joy. Knowing that God's with me, God's for me, God's, God's working out something in my life so that I would be what? Complete. Lacking in nothing. 
And if you're honest with yourself, you know this already. You grow the most in that place. It's where you grow the most. You don't grow the most when everything's perfect. When all the, all the bills are getting paid, when you're on the mountaintop, that's not where you've experienced your greatest growth. This is true for you physically. Why is it surprising to you spiritually? Where do you grow the most physically? Is it when you're sitting at home on your recliner, chilling out, watching a football game, putting as much food in your mouth? That feels good. But are you growing? Not in the way you want to be growing. That's not real physical growth. No, physical growth requires what? Discipline. Pain. Well, if it's been a minute since you've tried to do any physical growth, it'll hurt a whole lot. You take, some, you take some time off from doing anything that's physical at all, I'm telling you, it'll be something to just go out and just try to run to the end of your driveway. You'll go, wow, that's not what I remember me being like. We have, we're not surprised at all when physical growth requires a physical exertion, when it requires a certain level of suffering, when it takes a certain level of discipline. Why is it somehow weird to us that spiritually it takes the same stuff? How am I going to grow? How, if God truly cares that I look more like his son Jesus every day, if God really cares about that, then he's putting me in the gym of spirituality. He's putting me in the gym. And it's going to hurt a little bit. And he promises this in John 15. In fact, he says, if you abide in me, I'm going to do some pruning. If you love me, I'm going to do a little work on these branches because you guys aren't fit. You get a good physical therapist. You get a good physical trainer. The person's going to push you. That's what the Word of God is doing. Pushing. Urging. You can rejoice in this. That's what can happen. Now such that when you go to the gym, you know it's going to hurt. Hey, you take December off. Some of us are doing this, right? We're, we're just going to eat as many cookies as we can for the next month. And then January is going to hit. You along with the rest of Rocky Mount or wherever you live, the rest of us are all doing this. So then when January hits, you're going to see a lot of really misguided people in the gym. A lot of people in there in a lot of pain. Come to the gym in, Ju- in January and you will see exactly this. And it'll be filled with people who are sweating their guts out. And you can rejoice in this. <laughs> you can rejoice knowing, hey, it's going to take a work. But if I'll do something for 10 days, if I'll do something for 100 days, if I'll do something this year, I'll see the, I'll see the Spirit of God move in my life. I'll see it. I'll experience joy, peace, and hope like I've never had in my life. Because I said, I'm spending time with Jesus every day. I don't know what's going on in my life. It's a hot mess right now, but I'm spending time with my Lord. And I can rejoice then. I can rejoice in the sanctifying process. Here's the last way in which we can have true joy in Christ. And this one's the icing on the cake. By rejoicing in our splendor in Christ. It has some nuances to the first one. But there's something more he's saying here. In verse 8, in fact, he says, You've not seen him, and you love him. Which is a fascinating thing. And you do not now see him, and yet now you can rejoice with a joy that he describes as being inexpressible. This joy is so good that I can't verbalize it. The word there is literally in the Greek, unable to call out. This joy is so good, I wish I could tell you about it. But all I can do is point you to my Savior. 
So, so, that, so then when people come to you, your family members, your co-workers or whatever, and they see this joy in your life that's, that makes not, it doesn't make any sense, it doesn't, it doesn't add up for the ways in which things have happened to you, and yet you have this joy, and people say, hey, describe it for me, what's going on? And you can say, I can't, I can't put it into words. All I can do is point. <laughs> hey, go see the man. Like the woman at the well, go see this man who told me everything about me. Go see this guy who's giving me joy that makes no sense. Go, let me tell you about this Jesus who's given me a rejoicing that I have that's filled with glory. That's an interesting thing, verse 8. All of this being the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So in the end, I can rejoice knowing that God is going to do a miracle in me. It's like this full process Peter takes him through very quickly. You know what God's already done? Rejoice in that. Don't lose sight of that. There's this secure place that God is keeping for you. Then there's this middle. God's at work in you. Are you alive? Yes, say yes. I think most of you are breathing. I see most of your eyes are open. That's something. If you're alive, if you're breathing, if you're not home yet, guess what he's doing? He's sanctifying. God's not done with you yet. You're still here. You're still, t- you're still drawing breath. God's sanctifying. But you can have this other piece of joy knowing that there's a splendor that is to come. He said there's a glory that is to come. The salvation of your souls. The, the end point. And so we can experience this joy that's almost veiled in a sense. We're getting a glimpse of the joy we can have in Christ. That, that is a joy in the valley. That's the kind of joy that is secure but there's a bit of a veil there that's going to be removed one day. And we can have joy even in that, knowing that there's some superior reality that's coming my way. It kind of leans back into verse 6, such that I know this is just a temporary thing. This is just a little while. Even the goods, even the, even the great stuff, that stuff's temporary too. Yeah, my kids are only going to be 14, 11, 7, and 5 for just another year. Let me enjoy those moments. That's hard for me. If you know anything about me, I'm like, I'm ready for them to get out of my house and start ruining everything. But I'm going to miss that. I know I will. I know myself well enough to know that there's stuff right now that I'm not seeing that I'm going to miss. Because I've done that my whole life. And so rejoicing in those, those amazing things that are happening. But this thing that is to come, that's why we have in the human heart this longing for something more, for the next thing. That's why every single one of you are like, all right, so what's next? That's why heaven is a wonderful place. And, and how I, I don't even know how you have hope if the end of you is nothing. I don't understand how there's hope there. I don't get that at all. So for me, I think the the, the longing that's in every human being to do something more, what's happening tomorrow, my my daughter Brielle is the worst for this, y'all. I'm telling you, she's always ready for the next thing. We'll be in the middle of having a great time. What are we doing next week, Daddy? Here's what she said to me just this past week. So, Daddy, after we get through Christmas and New Year's and I don't... um, She couldn't remember Valentine's Day. Valentine, Easter, somebody's birthday. When do we get to go back to the pool? I'm like, well, I dig the pool too. But like she's already, I love Christmas time. Let's not overlook, hold on, baby bee. Let's get through Christmas. It's a joyous time of year. Now she's already ready for next summer. Some of you are right there with her. 
But that, that, that expression of the human heart, that rejoicing in the splendor that is to come, know that as a believer. <laughs> it's not just secure, but there's a glory that is to come. It's the Lord who will present this. Present, he's going to present us blameless. That there's coming a time where the, where the guilt and the shame and the sin and the brokenness and the things that you're so bound up by and struggling with, there's coming a time where that is done. And that's the kind of splendor that's inexpressible. Look what it was said here in Jude, in Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy... To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, both before all time, both now and forever. Amen. This is what's coming. This is why little bitty John, little bitty John leapt for joy in his mother's womb when he got to see Jesus in, in the womb of, of Mary. Look at this wonderful Christmas story, Luke chapter 1. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John the Baptist within her, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Leaped for joy. This is how Scrooge ended up. <laughs> he had to go through a tremendously terrible couple of nights. But then he became the father of a long line of illustrious laughs. John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb. I wonder if in Christ Jesus we could be a different type of believer. If in Christ Jesus we could be something more. A smile on your face. A song in your, in your soul, if you will. A laugh ready to, to come, come out. Leaping for joy. That'd be a wonderful thing to see, that we could have such a Merry Christmas. That we would go, and some of you are, are going to these places over the next few weeks to see people that either you can't wait to see or you're dreading to see. But what would it look like if joy was your, your expression? Not from your own doing, but from the Lord. That he is doing this work in you. Rejoicing with an inexpressible joy. Advent means joy. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would supply in us such an incredible joy that it would be obvious to the people around us. I'm not sure, Lord, I, I repent of this, that I think oftentimes Christians in the church are known for what we're against. We're known for the things we hate. We're not known for joy. Lord, would you do a new work in us, at least in this small little room, in this little environment here, that we would be the kind of Christians that people would observe and go, I can't get it. I can't figure it out. Where does, where does your rejoicing come from? Where is this peace? Where is this hope? Where does it stem? Give us opportunities this week, Lord. This month, Lord. 
to point to you and to say, hey, I, I can't put this into words. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to rightly express this joy. I'm just going to point you to the man. Look what Christ has done in me. He secured my inheritance. God, would you do this in us? Help us to be people of joy. I pray for those traveling over the next few weeks, Lord, that we would be lighthouses for you. That our family, our friends would know us by our joy. A joy that's something deeper that's in Christ and not just happenings. God, do this in us. Lord, we offer ourselves up to you. Would you guide us? Purpose in our lives according to your will and not our own. And supply us with joy. I pray for that person in the audience today that joy is so far, so foreign to them right now. That you would really touch their heart, prick their heart today. That they would experience the joy that comes from you and only you. My joy, as you say, Jesus. My joy, would you give it to us? We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.